The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. everyone and welcome to another episode of the take cast my name is davis matic you guys can find me on twitter at davis matic in this episode of the show i'm joined by jared dubin from last night and basketball in the nfl on cbs to discuss the first week of free agency the damian lillard trade potential james harden destinations and more of the nba market machinations really enjoyed talking to jared you guys should check out his Substack. If you guys want to support this show, you can subscribe to patreon.com slash takecast. A link to that is in the description of this show. Or you can just leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or the simplest thing, just tell a friend about the program. That's always useful and helpful. Now let's go ahead and get into it. All right, everyone. Very excited to welcome in Jared Dubin into the program. He is a writer at NFL on CBS, but more importantly, for today's conversation. He is also the purveyor of the Last Night in Basketball substack. We are going to dig into NBA free agency, some of the, the transactions that we've seen over the last week. Uh, Jared, thank you very much for joining the program, man. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. So I, I think what's hanging over everything in basketball right now is this Damian Lillard trade request that doesn't seem like very much of a request because he's not just saying trade me to somewhere uh, competitive, trade me to somewhere decent, but trade me to the Miami Heat for uh, a package of players that if you were trying to be charitable, I guess you would say it's fine. You know, I guess Caleb Martin and Tyler Hierro and some pick swaps and they can't even, I think they can only do two first. They don't have their 2027, I think is, is right. And they, they have an obligation to Oklahoma City, and they have an obligation to the Suns, I believe. So it's it's really it's not a very good package for the Trailblazers, and it seems like they might just have to take it. Yeah, so what it is is they've actually traded their 2025 first-round pick, which, because of the stepping rule, means they can't trade their 2024 or 2026 picks either because you can't have two, season, two years in a row in the future with no first round picks in that season. So the only picks they can trade are 27, 28, 29, and 30, but you can't trade consecutive years of those either. So you can trade either 27 and 29 or 28 and 30 and swaps in the other two years. And if that sounds confusing, they probably should because it's it's all a little bit ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, Dame wants to go where he wants to go, but to me, this is not like the, you know, the situation we just had play out with Bradley Beal, where he had a no trade clause and essentially decide not only that he wanted to be traded, but where he was going and what the package coming back to the Wizards in return was, because he could have just said, you know, no deal if they gave up something that, that Beal didn't want them to give up. 
that's not really the situation with Dame. Well, the question is whether other teams than the Heat will be willing to trade for a guy that isn't perceived to be to want to go there. But he's on a four-year deal still, like four years left on his contract. And I've never viewed Dame as a guy who's going to like, you know, throw a fit if he's somewhere that he doesn't necessarily want to be. Look how long it took him just to, to ask out of Portland. So it's I think that some other teams should be willing to step up. With the deal Miami can offer, I, I would say even if you were being charitable, is not that good. And the the way they're trying to negotiate is, you know, that they're not going to want to put Caleb Martin in that deal because obviously still having him after trading, you know, Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson right. or whoever else has to be in there, they're going to want to keep him. And I mean, from from uh, from Joe Cronin's perspective, the uh, the GM of the Blazers, I mean, I, I feel like at this point you can't trade him to Miami unless you get like literally everything. And even that is not that good. Like you get the two firsts and the two swaps in whichever, you know, um, whichever direction you want those to come. You get Hero, they take Yusuf Nurkic, you get somebody else to take either Hero or Duncan Robinson or whoever else is coming back in the deal. You get uh, Caleb Martin, you get Nikola Jovic, you get Jaime Jaquez, you get Haywood Highsmith, like you get Every, you get all of their second round picks. You get the maximum amount of cash that you can get in a deal. Like you have to ask for every single thing because the deal that they can offer is comparatively nowhere near as good as, you know, really anybody else can offer almost because of the way their, their assets are structured right now. Well, I think a deal that might make some sense is a three team trade where James Harden ends up on the Clippers and Damian Lillard ends up on the 76ers. I haven't, I've not uh, trade machined this to see exactly what salaries need to be matching. And Dame makes uh, a lot more money than Harden does. So there would need to be multiple pieces added. Although Portland, I suppose, would be willing to take on some short-term money here just because it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to them if it's, if it's just all about if they're just going to start Shaden Sharp. And Scoot Anderson, it, it doesn't really, you know, that's that's probably not going to be the core of a team that makes the playoffs this year. Uh, and I feel like I feel like the James Harden trade request is kind of it's it's simmering underneath this, you know, like the conversation is about Damian Lillard. The conversation has not been about James Harden opting into his contract and then asking for a trade after that. Yeah, well, he, I mean, he was at Michael Rubin's white party over the weekend, which I mean. I, I can't believe that this stuff like actually means something in the NBA world, but like he was there with like Embiid, Tobias Harris, a few other guys. So maybe that situation could be smoothed over. Who really knows? Um, are you saying a, a three team where Philly gets Lillard? Philly gets Philly gets Lillard. Harden ends up on the ends up rerouting from the Blazers to the Clippers. The Blazers. I guess Nurkic would probably have to move, I guess, to get the, the and they want to get off his contract anyway. So maybe this is too uh, Byzantine, but that is, I mean, Lillard, at least at the very least, seems like a better attitude guy than James Harden. And, and I could see, I could see Lillard and Embiid being a better fit as they both. Uh, I mean, Embiid is, is 30, Lillard is 32. Like it, it feels I don't know. I, I'm just so over watching James Harden play basketball, and I, I would get the 76ers being over it too. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that even if they're not necessarily over it, they're not all that into paying top dollar to right. watch it over the next several years. And I mean, I think kind of rightfully so. Like, he slowed down 
a little bit. He it does not seem like the kind of player who's necessarily going to age all that well into his mid thirties because, you know, even though he can stand at the top of the arc and like sling passes all over the court um, and do that better than almost anybody in the league, by the way, he led the league in assists last year. Like the, the physical condition that he's in doesn't necessarily lend itself to an extended, you know, mid to late thirties kind of run. Um, so I, I understand it from that perspective. And also like, what was the, the market outside of Philly for, for Harden this offseason? Like it closed down pretty quickly. Houston apparently wasn't interested because of some reason or another, who knows, but yeah, I mean, the, the issue with, I think this three team construction is that like the Clippers don't have a lot to give up either. Yeah. Like even like, the deal that was floated out there for the Clippers to get Harden is like, I mean, even if you put Terrence Mann in, it was not a whole heck of a lot. Um, so it's, it's tough to make these kind of constructions work. And like one of the big sayings I think in and around the league is like, if you have a three team trade, you have a no team trade because there's all, there's so many ways for it to break down, but you know, to get even more Byzantine than that, there was someone on Twitter over the weekend, which I mean, you could barely read it because Twitter doesn't work anymore. Um, who constructed a hypothetical like seven team trade where like nobody even has to put any more money in because all of these deals are, happening elsewhere, like involved the Max Drew sign and trade and somebody going to Oklahoma and Patty Mills being reared out to Oklahoma City. Like, I don't know. There's so many different things involved and I could barely make sense of it all. But that's even more ridiculous than the three-team deal, obviously. Presti, hey, look, you, you call Presti and you offer him a couple, uh, you know, second round picks and maybe like, a, you know, a, a pick swap or something. He he will always he will always pick up that phone. I mean that Sam Presti just loves making draft picks. Uh, speaking of the Rockets, I did not I did not have Fred VanVleet, you know, basically getting James Harden money in the Rockets on on my my bingo card. Nor four years, thirty two million dollars for Jock Landale, which I guess is fine backup center money in in the. I mean, I'd probably rather play Bismack Biombo, whatever he's making. Than uh, than than four years, thirty two million for for Jock Landale, but I I don't know. Are the Rockets trying to win basketball games? Were the were the vibes just you know r- rumored? The vibes were supposed to be horrible around the Rockets last year. Are they are they so bad that they're actually trying to win these games now? Yeah, I mean I don't know how much Rockets you watched last season, but I could barely stomach watching that team. It was like it was barely a real basketball team. Um, no defense really whatsoever. And I think that that was the motivation for the most part behind, you know, most of these moves that they made and the guys that they chased, like you look at it, they chased Fred Bentley, one of the best defensive guards in the league. Um, Dylan Brooks, one of the best defensive wings in the league. And they went hard after Brooke Lopez, one of the best defensive centers in the league. And they hired Ime Yudoka, who, you know, in, Bo- in Boston, his one season there, you know, helped obviously lift the Celtics to being one of the, I think they were the best defense in the league by the end of the season. Um, so that's sort of their goal, I think, is to just build a baseline level of competence on defense so that they can see what the young guys that they've drafted really are. And I think to do that, you definitely needed to get some adults in the room, For sure. um, which, which they did. I, I'm not sure that they needed to necessarily pay as much as they did for those guys, but that also might have been like the cost to get them there because there was such a, you know, a, a bad vibes, I guess you could say on that team from whatever was happening last year and the year before. Obviously, they didn't end up getting Brooke Lopez either, so they wound up pivoting uh, to Landau. I don't know. He, he obviously doesn't help 
quite as much uh, on defense. He might even be the backup to uh, to Shangun at center there. But yeah, like, and also having Van Bleet is going to give them someone who knows how to run an offense, which they really did not have last year. And just somebody who can get everybody in the right place and doing the right thing and moving in the right direction will will help them discover like what Jalen Green is and what Amen Thompson is and what Jabari Smith is and what the rest of these guys are. That, that should help. I think the price they paid for each individual guy is probably too high, but I understand the theory behind all of the moves. I I understand the theory, and I guess I if the if the operating theory that I think a lot of these Western Conference teams have is that the Warriors are are just about out of gas in in the tank. And the Lakers, I mean, you know, LeBron is still an amazing player, but he's going to be 39 this upcoming season. And Anthony Davis uh, just cannot, I mean, even though he is 10 years younger than LeBron James, can't seem to find a way to keep his body healthy. I mean, that's really like, who's going to retire first, Anthony Davis or LeBron James? That's sort of, uh, that's sort of an interesting question. Um, and, you know, the the Nuggets are running into the issues of trying to keep together an expensive team when you're playing four starters, a lot of money. They're, they're really good, but they did just lose their best bench player, Bruce Brown, and honestly, probably their fifth best player too, to the Indiana Pacers for way more than they could have. I mean, Bruce Brown would have had to have taken like, like a $30 million pay cut over two years to stay with the Nuggets. And maybe he loves them, but he probably doesn't love them, you know, $30 million worth. Like, the, the Nuggets are are they did sign Justin Holiday, who I guess is just going to try to be Bruce Brown this upcoming. I don't think he's quite as good, but if, if the theory might just be everyone in the West is getting old, the Suns. I mean, Kevin Durant's thirty five, hasn't stayed healthy in the playoffs. I can't even remember the last healthy playoffs Kevin Durant had. Actually, it's been it's been so long. Like the West is maybe eighteen months away from being very open. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely the theory. Um... Bruce Brown would have had to take essentially like a third of the amount of money in year one that he got in Indiana. Um, he could only get like 7.8 million from the Nuggets on a, a one plus one deal to then get like the extension next year. I think one very interesting possibility, he signed a two year $45 million deal with Indiana that has a team option on the second season. It's entirely possible that he gets $22.5 million or whatever the, the first year salary is from Indiana is this year, they decline that team option. And then he goes and signs a full mid-level contract that he could have signed next season with Denver, but he can sign it on the open market because they no longer are limited by the, the early bird contract. That's an interesting possibility. I literally thought of like two seconds ago. And it's, it's entirely possible that happens next off season, but Denver, I think, you know, you mentioned Justin Holiday. They have Peyton Watson. They really like a lot who they drafted last year. They drafted three guys in like the late first, early second this year. They drafted Christian Brown, obviously, last year, too. They're going to try to sort of cobble together that role between, you know, whichever of those guys kind of pops. Um, and I guess Reggie Jackson, too, which was one of my least favorite contracts of the summer so far. But I do think you're right. Like, the teams see the Warriors, like you said, getting up there in age, the Nuggets losing one of their, you know, definitively one of their top six guys and probably one of their top four or five. You know, certainly in the playoffs, he was, you know, maybe their third, their third or fourth best guy some nights after, you know, Jokic or Murray. Um, and then the Lakers, like you said, like LeBron's going to be 39. How much of the second half of the season performance from the Lakers was 
quote unquote real last year, you don't necessarily know. And like, who's the, the, the rising power in the West right now? Like it looked like it was gonna be Memphis and New Orleans, but we don't really know what's happening in either of those places right now. Like we don't know if or when Zion Williamson can get back on the court and turn the Pelicans into you know the team they are when he's out there, which is very good. And the team that are when he's not, is not very good. And then Memphis, like everything that's going on with John Morant and like they they brought in Marcus Smart, but they lose Dylan Brooks and Tyus Jones in the, the same deal. Like it's a, it's, it, it is open, I guess, for, for teams to try to pursue that, you know, biggest threat to Denver type of status. Maybe that's Sacramento after adding, um, I think they brought in Sasha Pazenkov from, uh, I don't remember what team he played for in Europe exactly, but he's like the, a type. Yeah. Um, and the Lakers, I mean, to their credit, every, I mean, it, I suppose everyone always says this about the Lakers every offseason. Like, they they do this incredible job of getting guys in on minimums. I mean, they got Gabe Benson in. They got Cam Reddish in. They did a three-year $51 million deal with Rui Hachimura. They got a two-year deal with Jackson Hayes. They got Austin Reeves to agree to the, the early bird maximum contract. They got a three-year $37 million deal D'Angelo Russell, they got Tari and Prince. Like they are that they're a better team, certainly, uh, on July 5th than they were uh, you know, in October of 2022, right? Um oh, yeah. by, by a lot. By um, by a lot. Without giving yeah, up those, Gabe you know, Vincent two first round the, picks. Yeah, Gabe Vincent got the uh, the, the mid level exception, not the minimum. Um and Torian Prince got the biannual exception. But I mean the Austin Reeves contract is like a heist i know that there's a lot of like you know is this lakers exceptionalism is this dude really that good like he's a lot better than the four-year 56 million dollar deal that he signed it's it's really hard to believe that nobody wanted to sign him to an offer sheet that paid him a lot more than that yeah that does seem that does seem strange i mean maybe it is uh i mean look maybe he really likes playing with lebron maybe uh maybe his is yeah, it does. It does. That feel that feels right for the Houston Rockets actually to come in. That feels that feels like such a Houston Rockets move to offer him. Uh, I don't know, if, you know, four years, eighty million or whatever. I don't know. I don't know the exact specifications of the early bird and how how much they could even offer him. They could have offered him plenty more. Like the Lakers are the only team limited by the early bird rights. Another team, like another team, could have offered him a max if they wanted to. Um, which yeah. you know, would have been like four years, hundred and something million dollars um, for a player in his position. But you know, uh, an undrafted player getting fifty-six million dollars in the market, like that's a whole lot of money. And I would, I have to think that the Lakers, very openly telegraphing that they would match any offer, no matter what, played a role in teams not necessarily being willing to uh, to give him a big offer sheet. Although now you only tie up your cap for twenty-four hours when when you sign an offer sheet. The issue is you can't sign them until July 6th when free agency, quote unquote, officially opens. Right. And we've seen, you know, more than half of free agency has played out already. And if you have an offer sheet that someone's going to match, you're sort of tied up in what you can offer to, you know, your second choice until July 7th. Right. Okay. What did you make of what the Suns did? Basically attempting to do the same thing, right? Fill out, fill out better and, as many veteran guys as possible guys who can play uh you know not not super young like they they definitely try i think they they wanted less 
less youth, more experience on the bench. I mean, really just signing a lot of guys who came off the bench for the Spurs the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I like that they moved quickly and aggressively to get like the best, most flexible guys that were willing to take the minimum. You don't want it to drag out to where other guys, other teams sign, you know, the better minimum guys and you're, you know, left looking around for scraps. So they just went out and signed a bunch of guys very, very quickly. And they were basically done with their team building by like the middle of the afternoon on July 1st. Um, That said, it is all minimum guys, you know? So the idea that they're going to have a big impact is is pretty far-fetched. The theory of the team is that they have four guys that are good enough that it doesn't matter that the rest of the roster is made up of minimum guys. And that's going to be what's put to the test. It's not really going to be like, you know, is Eric Gordon or Yudo Watanabe or um, or Drew Eubanks like the saving grace of the Suns? It's can KD and Booker and Beal and Aiton all be healthy and playing at a high enough level that it doesn't matter who the fifth guy on the court is. Sure. What do you what I mean? What do you think of that thesis? I mean, uh, we're we're getting into Beal, good player, has not always been a part of winning. Although he does have some good playoff moments, they're just a long time ago. Durant, some of the greatest playoff moments ever, but you know, he he's he like Kevin Durant is now officially old for for a basketball player. Like he is an old basketball player now. Yeah, it, which is really weird to think about and he obviously hasn't been fully healthy for a, a season in a while. Uh, he's been healthy in time for the last two playoff runs. Um obviously this year was a little bit different because that process was kind of rushed toward the end of the regular season. I think he got in like five or six games at the end of the regular season going into the playoffs. I, I think we've seen these last couple of years that it kind of does matter who that, that fifth or fourth and fifth guy on the court with you is, you know, because in a lot of ways, the playoffs is about mitigating weaknesses as much as it is accentuating your strengths. If you have a guy who can be ignored on one end or targeted on the other, the opposing team is going to relentlessly attack you at that spot until you, you know, overcompensate for it, and then they'll attack you somewhere else. And the, the best teams or the teams that make it the furthest, a lot of times are the teams with the fewest weaknesses. Um, and if you have minimum guys on the court at all times, it's, it's kind of unlikely that you're going to be the team with the fewest weaknesses, especially on defense, because I think that's where their, their biggest issue is going to be. In the regular season, they're, they're going to outscore a ton of teams when these guys are all healthy. I mean, there's, there's just not much you can do to compete with the firepower that you know, KD and Booker and Beal bring, even if they are shooting like too much in the mid range, like they probably will. It's just, they're going to score efficiently. They're that good. But in the playoffs, it's, it's going to come down to how well they can execute defensively with that specific group of guys and like who that fifth guy is and can Aiton raise his level of play to match those other three guys. Like there's so many things that are much more magnified when you can build like bespoke game plans to go against a certain opponent where during the regular season, you're playing so many games in such a short period of time that you're not like building custom coverages or custom sets to take advantage of one guy or one weakness over and over and over again. For the most part, you're running your stuff. Right. And I mean, there's been murmurings and rumors of DeAndre Ayton 
you know, I mean, he he signed the offer sheet with the uh, or the I guess the Indiana Pacers signed him to an offer sheet. The Suns quickly matched. Uh, famously, he didn't talk to his head coach for an entire offseason. And he was so good in the playoffs for them. I guess not the year they they bowed out when everyone had COVID in game seven, but he was so good the year before. And maybe, honestly, maybe that could have been one of the more damaging things to the Suns because they they bought in. They were like, all right, this is the guy. You know, we, we, we're going to pay him. We're going to feel good about it. And I don't know. He I, To me, he sort of feels like new age Josh Smith. Like he's he's good. He can get you 18 and 10, but not necessarily you, what you want from a guy of his size and maybe not always the best attitude on on and off the court either. There's there's so many times where he just doesn't play with enough force, like where he you know goes up for a hook shot when he should be dunking or he fades away when he should be going through the defender in the paint or when he backs off in pick and roll and gives a guy a lane, uh, you know, a path into the lane. It's just, it, it leaves you kind of cold because there's so much there that he really should be able to be like one of the best big men in the league, like a guy with that kind of skill, shooting, post-ups, individually, even passing sometimes now. His size, his athleticism, like he's such a better defender than people thought he was going to be coming out of college. But there's, we also have seen him hit a way higher level on that end than he's been showing with any, any degree of consistency over the past two years. And whether or not he can recapture what he looked like in the playoffs two years ago until he got kind of destroyed by Giannis over the second half of that series in the finals, like how often does it does a guy lose his peak form for two years and then regain it? It, it, it can't be that common. And um, they, they, they really need him to get there or they have to find a way to get something for him. I think that's more likely, but you know they're posturing like they don't want to trade him right now because the value is just not there for, for what they think he's worth. And how many, I mean, how many centers end up being, you know, fetching a ton in the trade market, right? I mean, everyone's like kind of happy with their, obviously not if they're transcendent, you know, if you're Joel Embiid, if you're Nikola Jokic, it's, it's a lot different, but like, you know, uh, an 18 and 10 center is worth a lot less now, especially one who's not even that comfortable taking, I mean, much less three point shots, but just sort of jump shots in general. Aiden is sort of, uh, Aiden is sort of phobic of them, which is, uh, it's, it, which is the opposite of what the Boston Celtics just did. They traded away a guard who couldn't shoot for a big man who loves to shoot. I, I gotta say, I, I hate this trade for the Boston Celtics. Um, smart is obviously a phenomenal player on the court. I think uh, focusing on Marcus Smart as the problem with the Boston Celtics offense late in games is sort of missing the forest for the trees, which is that the problem is not that Smart is not the greatest passer, although he's gotten a lot better in his time in the NBA. It's that you should never really be a championship contending team and have Marcus Smart be the best passer on the court in closing minutes. And I don't, I don't, I guess I don't see the problem that Porzingis solves. Right. I, I mean, what, it, what, what, what did you make of it? Yes. It's a pretty strange deal. Like, like you said, smart was probably the best passer on the team over these last few seasons. I don't think it's an identification of smart as the problem necessarily, but more of drawing the big men out of the paint so that 
Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum aren't always driving into traffic is the solution to the, the turnover issues and the stagnancy issues. I don't know that I necessarily agree. Uh, I get the merit of trying to draw a big man out, but unless Porzingis is the lone big on the court, they're probably just going to guard him with a wing and they'll guard Al Horford or Robert Williams with a big, and then it doesn't necessarily solve the problem that you're trying to solve. And, you know, they'll invite Porzingis to post up that wing, which he's never necessarily been all that good at. And he's obviously not uh, all that great a passer either, but he, he was really, really good last season on both ends of the court. The defense was back to, you know, where it was toward the tail end of his tenure with the Knicks, where he was protecting the rim really well. And he was doing a better job sort of navigating in, in space. And I think he fits theoretically next to either Horford or Time Lord or as the lone big man, depending on how they want to play it. It sort of gives them a bunch of different options. And I guess they're betting that they can get combined 82 healthy games out of the three of those guys. Like maybe it'll just be two of them some nights. Maybe it'll be one, maybe it'll be all three, but they don't have to play everybody 75 games. They can play them all 65 games and sort of keep them healthy and rested throughout the year is, is one thing I can think of, but they do still need more like somebody who can play make for others at a really high level because now Jason Tatum is probably the best at doing that. And he's just like pretty good for his position at that. He's not like an elite level guy creating for people other than himself. And I would think, you know, Horford is good at that too. And uh, Robert Williams can make some passes on the move as a pick, out of pick and rolls, but they don't have the guy who is going to, you know, like run a pick and roll, draw the three defenders and zip that pass to the corner really. That, that, that aspect of their offense is not really there. Like, I, I feel like another move should be coming, but I don't know what it is. It's just, I guess it, it seems a strange use of resources to acknowledge that the problem is, is you know, turnovers, having a functioning offense, keeping, you know, keeping it cool, and then to trade away a guard. When you, mm-hmm. when, when, by the way, I don't. I mean, I don't know how Malcolm Brogdon feels, but he was traded away in the middle of the night, and then the salary didn't work out, so he's still a Boston Celtic. I mean, these guys are professionals, and it's probably not that big of a deal. But I, I, my sense is just that the vibes in the Boston building have to be bad, right? The coach is fired in a in a very weird way. The players quit in Game Three. They come all the way back. They end up losing. Like Jalen Brown is giving crazy interviews you know, and, and it has intimated, but not suggested that he doesn't love being the second best player on the team, that that it seems difficult for him. I don't know. I, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is just hatred of the Boston Celtics uh, flowing, but I don't really hate the Boston Celtics, but I, I kind of hate this iteration of the team. I'm, I'm sick of watching them lose uh, in the Eastern conference finals. I I'm, I'm, I've had enough of it. Yeah, they're just kind of a team that always, like, you watch them and if they leave, you feel like they should just be better. Like, they're not as good as the sum of their parts somehow. Um, and Brogdon might need surgery on his wrist or arm or elbow or whatever it was that he injured. That, that was sort of going around uh, a week or so ago, so who knows if he'll even be ready for the start of the season. 
And like, I don't think that Peyton Pritchard is like the the greatest bench guard in the world that is suddenly gonna, you know, make that transition to being much more of a rotation player. I do think it's worth noting they did also get the two first round picks with Porzingis in the deal. So maybe that helps them get whatever it is they need at guard to to sort of make the transition to wherever they're going next. Yeah. Um, all right, let's see who else well the the Jazz are sort of interesting in that they didn't really do a ton with all of these assets. So they they finally, mercifully, the John Collins experience in Atlanta is over. Uh he's traded for absolutely nothing, the absolute nadir of his value uh in order to and, and they they acquired Rudy Gay, Talon Horton Tucker picks up his option. Jordan Clarkson got a front-loaded three-year deal. They're they're sort of interesting, right? I mean, they basically pulled off the greatest heist in, in NBA history, trading away Rudy Gobert. They've got all these picks. They replaced him with Walker Kessler. They were way better than anyone anticipated they would be last year. They got an all-star performance from Laurie Markinen. I mean, why, why is why I, I would I would pay a first round pick for Laurie Markinen right now if I think if I was a, a lot of teams sort of needing a three-point shooting forward of some degree i mean feels feels like they should be looking into that i mean i don't think the jazz are going to trade him um and if they did danny ains would be asking for like right child 17 picks like naming rights to whatever business you open next like (laughs) danny would ask for for so much for him and rightly so like the leap he took as an individual creator last year like creating his own offense off the dribble was astronomical. Like he had done pretty well the year before in, in Cleveland in terms of his shooting and sort of bouncing back from, from where he was um, in that, that last year with Chicago. But last year was a, a whole different level. I really love that John Collins move for them. Like you said, they got him for basically nothing. And they can sort of mix and match front court minutes with Markin, Collins, and Kessler. Like, you play each of those guys 32 minutes a game and that's your front court. Like that's your four and five spot and marketing obviously can, can soak up some minutes at the three as well. I love the front loaded deal that they gave Clarkson. Like he gets a pay raise this year, but they have an even more tradable contract over the next two years for whenever they try to find whoever their, you know, lead creator in the backcourt of the future is like Clarkson, Colin Sexton, Taylor Norton, Tucker, these guys are all pretty good. They're not like high level, you know, super creator type of guards. You have to imagine with all the picks that Utah has, they're going to take like a bigger swing for a guard at some point, whether that's in the draft or via trade. And these guys are all on pretty good contracts. They have 900,000 picks over the next six or seven years. Like they're going to have as much ammo as any team in the league to find whoever that guard is to pair with, with Lowry and, you know, with Collins is still there and with Walker Kessler, who, you know, was better than Gobert last year, like straight up. Straight up. So it, it's pretty incredible what, how they've been able to sort of rebuild on the fly. It, it is. Um, I, I'm sort of of two minds about what the Cavaliers did, which is obviously related to this, given that they, they traded away an all-star. I, I thought the, well, $63 million feels like a lot for Max Struess until like you realize like it's okay. It's four years. The cap is going to keep going up and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I thought the Niang deal seemed again, a bit, a bit like 
they need a player like Niang 100% for sure in, in some matchups where they can't play the double bigs. And it also still seems like they're not quite ready to play Evan Mobley at center all the time forever. Uh, which I mean, obviously eventually much like Anthony Davis had to transition to being an all the time set. I get, although I guess the Lakers did win a championship playing him as a power forward. Their, their best path is playing Mobley at a center and letting Jared Allen go where he goes. So I, I get it, but Niang was so rarely on the court in the playoffs. Like, I guess that's maybe where I always land is that these teams have high aspirations and it's different when your aspirations are different, but the Cavaliers have a lot of really good players and an interesting, like Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley is quite the nucleus. And I mean, can can Niang, can Niang be a power forward in the NBA playoffs? I don't, I don't really know if he can. Maybe for a few minutes here and there, like with, with second units, like he hasn't necessarily gotten played off the court, like he can't be out there, but it's also not like that great if you have him out there. They just needed shooting so desperately. Uh, and Niang and Struz are both obviously plus shooters, although, you know, a little bit inconsistent with, with Struz sometimes there. The issue to me is that neither of them are the guy that's going to guard the opposing wings. And, you know, the guys on the team that, that could be that guy is like Isaac Coro, who we saw sort of torpedoed their offense when they're out there in the playoffs. And then so now they have these three different guys that they can put out there instead of him with Struess, with Niang, and with Karis LeBert. And none of them necessarily give you the best of both worlds on both ends. And I'm just curious how they balance that. It's, it's a, like I said earlier, with the, the mitigating weaknesses in the playoffs, no matter which of those guys is out there, there's going to be a weakness for opposing teams to attack. Which is, I mean, I guess no, no team is perfect, right? There's always, there's always an angle you're, you know, I mean, very few, uh, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, uh, Steph Curry lineups exist, right? That's just, it's just not really the way basketball is played. And, we are, I mean, it's only going to become more intense as, as the aprons start to penalize these players. I mean, this CBA that, uh, that is impacting all of these deals that we've been discussing, I mean, it is horribly penal for, for really, it, the, the idea is to, is to get players to stay where they're drafted, right? But in practice, it really just penalizes teams that are good and get good players and then have to pay good players what they're worth because they can just end up making more money elsewhere from some crappy team who owes no money to anybody. Yeah, the uh, the owners are always way too concentrated on fixing whatever they think was the biggest problem in the previous CBA. And it's, it's always like a self-centered notion of what the quote-unquote problem is. It's like, why can't I keep this specific player? That's the problem we're going to try to solve when they should really be the ones thinking – much longer term. They are going to have, for the most part, much longer tenures in the league than the players. And they should be thinking about what's best for the overall health of the league to make them the most money over the longest period of time. And not like, how can I get, you know, how can I stop the players from doing this one thing that they did over the last few years? And they are sort of always, to me at least, surprisingly short-sighted and don't think through, or at least don't think through enough the, the ramifications of whatever their big move in the next CBA is going to be. Like they accidentally got rid of contract extensions because they wanted to protect against Carmelo Anthony style extended trades. Like 
that, that was the thing from like from 2011 to 2017, nobody was signing extensions. That's why KD hit the open market and went to the Warriors. And that was why they tried to institute the Supermax. So teams could offer their players so much more money. But then the Kings were like, well, actually, we don't want to give DeMarcus Cousins that much money. It's too much money. So we're going to trade him. And the Bulls were like, we don't want to give Jimmy Butler that much money. We're going to trade him. So it's like every time they try to fix whatever they perceive the problem is, they wind up creating another one for themselves. And I think that that's what they did with this CBA too. And, and it's it's also not even stopping some teams. Like the Suns, they're going to blow past the second apron. They don't care. They'll just pay all the luxury tax. Which I, I guess, yeah. I mean, Balmer, you're not telling, like Balmer is, is going to spend what he's going to spend. The, the Warriors ownership group, they're going to spend what they want to spend, which I guess actually is circular to where we began with the Damian Lillard thing, because in a sense, it's also just rebelling against the players deciding where they want to play, right? I mean, the, 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 the damage done by the not one, not two, not three LeBron James, Miami Heat press conference is it, it could, we're, we're 13 years past that and it still reverberates. It's sort of, it's sort of unbelievable how much, how angry that made people that LeBron was just like, peace out i'm i'm going i'm going to miami like it's it's still it still dictates so much of what owners want to do yeah um it turns out that telling you know 30 of the richest people in the world that actually it's not their league it's the players league is uh does not always go over too well with them no no it doesn't and i am i'm obviously i'm sympathetic to the plight uh i mean Damian Lillard has, has played great basketball, really through no fault of his own. The teams have kind of just been mismanaged around him. Guys have been injured. I mean, C.J. McCollum probably should have been traded earlier. Uh, the package they ended up accepting for C.J. McCollum, just the, the Lillard-McCollum pairing uh, in general was, you know, it's never really going to work. You know, it just, it just wasn't. And, I mean, how many wings – how many wings have cycled through the Portland Trailblazers organization in the last 10 years? You know, uh, Alan Crabb, poison pill contracts. Like, it's unbelievable. They never built a winner around him. But I don't, again, I, I don't think it's particularly fair to a, a multi-billion dollar organization to, to feel beholden by emotion to Damian Lillard. That like, okay, you want to go to Miami? We're trading you to Miami. You know, it's, it's definitely like... They should, they got to do what's best. And, and, you know, the counterpoint is, well, no one will ever sign with Portland again, which is like whoever signed with the Portland Trailblazers. Is Evan Turner, which was like one of the worst contracts of all time. Like the idea that they, you know, can't risk trading Dame to not the Heat because no stars will ever sign there again is just not really based in reality. And it's like, well, you can't piss off Aaron Goodwin. And like, you know, Aaron Goodwin, who are his biggest clients? Like, it's DeMar DeRozan, Dame's cousin, and Matisse Thibel. Like, and they have an opportunity now to match the Matisse Thibel offer sheet, assuming that actually gets signed. I haven't seen if that's been reported yet or even what the value is. Uh, I know there was reported earlier today that he was going to get one from the Mavericks. So it, it's not like they're never going to do business with Aaron Goodwin again. They have an opportunity to do it right now and sort of smooth things over, you know? Like, I just don't get the arguments against getting the best deal possible. What it depends on is whether some non-Heat team is willing to offer that best deal possible, knowing that he, quote-unquote, doesn't want to be there. Right. And I I think the – I mean, you highlighted this when we began, but the four-year nature of it 
does make it a little bit different. You know, like the 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 most famous example of this was the Kawhi trade, where the Raptors gave up very little, uh, you know, Yaka Pirtle and and some stuff to acquire Kawhi Leonard for a season. They won a championship. DeMar DeRozan too. DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. And 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 then Kawhi said, Nice knowing you. Thanks for the memes. I'm out. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go play for the Los Angeles Clippers. And it was sort of no harm, no foul, because it it resulted in a title. But to I mean, to your point, if Damian Lillard gets traded to the Sixers, the Celtics, like what is he what is he really gonna do? He's gonna he's gonna spend the rest of his life you know, feeling angry at the the Blazers organization like that, that also feels unreasonable. Yeah. And it's, Dame is not the type of guy that's not going to report to camp because he got some somewhere that he didn't want to go or that wasn't his first choice. Like I, I really don't see that happening. I'd be very surprised. Um, you know, even more surprised than if the Blazers just took that offer from my hand. Um, I, I can't foresee that for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. The San Antonio Spurs, Victor Wembanyama, and 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 just a, a a pure, they have just clay. They have clay around Victor Wembanyama. How would how would you Jared Dubin build around Victor Wembanyama? Would your would your strategy be to bulk him up? Would you want him to be a, a you know less of a Dirk type, more of a maybe a, well. I mean, Giannis is the comp, right? Giannis is the is sort of the 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 mega freak comp of what you'd want him to be. But what what types of players are optimal to have around Victor Wembanyama? Um, I would not try to put him in any particular lane all that quickly. Like, I would roll him out there with all different types of combinations. The one thing I would make sure is I always have a point guard that knows what they're doing out there with him because he can't run a functional NBA offense if you don't have competent point guard play. Um, that that was a big issue with the Rockets last year that we talked about earlier. So always having like a, a, a good point guard that knows how to run an offense out there is the only thing that I would make sure I have at all times. Otherwise, I would tell him like, just go play basketball, do what you do best and we'll figure out the role as your skill set evolves and as your game evolves. Like. You should try to have all different kinds of front court partners, have, have shooters, have rim protecting big men, have, you know, big men that can guard in space, have three and D guys. Like, you always need shooting and you always need defense around everybody. Like, yeah. the big thing is you want to have guys that can shoot and can defend and aren't going to be taken advantage of on one end of the floor or the other. That's, like, the, the, the big overarching thesis. But to me, I wouldn't be, like, let's make him Giannis or let's make him – uh, Hakeem or whoever like the dude is a rare talent that we've never seen before in the same way that like Jokic is a rare talent that we've never seen before Steph is a rare talent that we've never seen before like there was no Steph before Steph there was no Jokic before Jokic you want him to turn into a guy like there was no Wembanyama before Wembanyama and you want him to be whatever he's going to be and not like an archetype with someone else is I guess what I'm trying to say I would definitely, I mean, yeah, I think defense is probably like the number one thing I want him to get used to at an NBA level in, in year one. And I, shooting, obviously, yeah, but I, I want him to be dribbling, I think. That that feels like the thing that he can do at his size that is that that we've never seen before, right? I mean, Durant, for like 
for the entirety of his Oklahoma City career, he had trouble dribbling. Uh, he he could get moved off his spots a lot. Uh, you know, our, uh, so many of those playoff series, it would just be so frustrating watching him get pushed off his spot on the low block. And um, I mean, the, the, that's I, I guess Jokic is a really good dribbler. Jokic is so he's so unbelievable. I mean, if if Wembenyana gets to be as good as as Jokic has been the last three seasons, it would be it would be like that would be that is not even the favorite to happen, right? You know, like that, yeah, I mean, that, that it's unbelievable. Ever that wins back to back MVPs and a Finals MVP, I think that that would be uh, you know pretty good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Finally, we can uh, we can wrap up with your New York Knickerbockers. They trade away Obi Toppin. Uh, my my sense is that would cause psychic anguish for the Knicks fans. Like I felt I felt like Knicks fans don't like watching Julius Randle and just at, sort of by the you know the backup quarterback as the most popular guy in town that that made Obi Toppin uh, you know more of a more of a fan favorite. And which is really interesting because in Toppin's rookie season, he was terrible. And that was the year that Randall had his first All-NBA season. And it was like, man, why did they even draft this guy? He doesn't know what he's doing. They already have Julius Randall, which is, again, interesting because the year before that, Randall was awful. But <laughs> I think that Nick fans really came around on Toppin over the last couple of years. I think for the most part, they are higher on him than I am. I don't know that he's necessarily shown that he does anything at a super high level yet. Like he is, he can be on the court defensively. He's an okay at best shooter. He's an okay ball mover. He is really fast and gets up and down the court really well. And that works when you're on the second unit sort of running and gunning, but we haven't really seen the theory of what he can be as like a half court offensive player. Some of that is the role that he was asked to play. And some of it is just like if your skill set is that you're going to be the pick and roll dive man, but we have Mitchell Robinson and then we have Julius Randle as another pick and roll guy. Why are we running our offense around Obi Toppin as the pick and roll dive man? Like that was never really going to happen for him from, from the Knicks perspective. So, you know, some, some of it is on the skill set as well. He's also, you know, he's 25, 2,000, 3,000, sorry minutes into his career so how much room is there necessarily for growth i don't know that the, the psychic damage to nick Penn should necessarily enter into the equation when you are looking at the trade i mean the the issue with Toppin isn't the trade it's the draft pick in the first place like tyrus halliburton was sitting right there it was a team that had been desperate for guard play for so long and it was to so many people myself included and so many others the rather obvious pick but they didn't make it and sort of set themselves back because they didn't make it. And now he gets to go play with Halliburton in Indiana and, you know, Halliburton just signed like a $250 million contract or whatever it is. And Toppin's going to have to play well in the final year of his rookie deal to earn a second contract. Um, you know, that, that, that to me is the, the issue with Toppin. And then, you know, they bring in Dante DiVincenzo who, is a solid player and I think a really good fit with that second unit with Emmanuel Quickly, Josh Hart as that Hart sign. I think he makes a lot of sense because of his ability to work on or off the ball, to beat closeouts, to defend multiple spots along the wing. Um, I don't know that you need to go four years for almost the full mid level for a guy who 
in the best case scenario is probably your third best bench player behind quickly and Hart. Um, I'm not sure the wisdom of that, but I do think he makes a lot of sense. Um, and will be a tradable contract for sure. Yeah, like you, that you're not stuck to it. That like the big wing type, like all of their wings are kind of small still. Like RJ Barrett is the biggest one. And he's, I don't know, he's like six, seven, like 205, 210, something like that. He's not really like a big wing. He's not the guy that like you put on LeBron or KD or whoever, like, so they're still missing that sort of archetype. And I'm interested to see if or how they try to find it. They need, they need their Lou Dort. You gotta, you gotta just find an undrafted free agent who teaches himself how to hit 35% on wide open three pointers and, and will defend like a dog. That's uh that's the move. Um, all right, guys, we can wrap up here. Uh, Jared, tell the people what they get on last night in basketball.substack.com. Yeah, it's, uh, it's all my writing that you typically would have found at 538 or any of the various other places that I've written throughout. I don't know. They're all on the internet somewhere. It's like I've written for every site that exists or used to exist, and there's a lot more that don't exist and still exist these days. Um, and then during the season, I do a video breakdown kind of stuff there as well. And for now, that's all. But uh, all my thoughts on the, the off season and the trades that we think are going to happen <laughs> will we'll, we'll be there. And then all my sort of larger projects that I've tended to do over the last several years, looking at, you know, teams and analysis and players and trends and things like that will, will be there as well. All right, there we go. Everyone, uh, make sure to check out last night at basketball.substack.com. You can read Jared on CBS, NFL on CBS, and you can follow him on Twitter at jadubin 5 Jared, thanks for hopping on the program, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 